You are listening to Himal Interviews, where we bring in reporters, authors, and field specialists to talk about major issues affecting South Asia today. Within hours of the Hamas attack on October 7th, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi tweeted his support for Israel. And on October 27th, India abstained from a UN vote on a ceasefire resolution that saw strong support from other nations in the global south. Although it has called for restraint and urged diplomacy, the Indian government has repeatedly voiced its support. So the responses from Indian accounts have been extraordinary, to say the least. Sometimes they put up posters in which they say, we stand with Israel. Sometimes they put graphics of two hands in a clasp painted with Israeli and Indian flags. Sometimes they've just tried to reflect on how this conflict in Gaza mirrors the kind of challenges that India faces security-wise. This major space that Israel suddenly started to occupy in the Indian imagination was because that common threat was found. Israel's brutal bombardment of Gaza has killed over 20,000 Palestinians and wounded more than 50,000 others in just over two months since the 7th October attack by Hamas. While India strongly condemned the attack and expressed solidarity with Israel, India recently voted in favor of several draft resolutions in the United Nations that criticized Israel's conduct in Gaza and supported aid for Palestinian civilians after initially abstaining on a resolution that had called for an immediate humanitarian truce and unhindered humanitarian access in the Gaza Strip. This signifies that deeper shifts have taken place in India's approach to Israel. For most of independent India's history, New Delhi had no diplomatic relations with Israel. India and Israel under Narendra Modi and Benjamin Netanyahu have developed a significant military partnership and growing economic ties. In a review essay on Azad Essa's Hostile Homelands, the new alliance between India and Israel for Himal South Asian, Rohan Venkat explores the ideological convergence of Hindutva and Zionism and the consequences for Kashmir and Palestine and argues there is much more driving India and Israel's deepening ties. Rohan Venkat is a non-resident visiting scholar and consulting editor at the Center for the Advanced Study of India at the University of Pennsylvania. He writes the India Inside Out newsletter on Indian politics, foreign policy, and history. Rohan Venkat is here with us today to discuss how the most potent commonality between India and Israel isn't in the trade and defense ties they have been building over the past three decades. Instead, Rohan explores how the ideological movements that lie at the core of India and Israel's political leadership today serve to justify the excesses of both states and the wider implications of this for South Asia. Hello, Rohan, and welcome to Himal Interviews. And thank you very much for speaking with us today. Thank you so much for having me on. So to start us off, could you give us an overview of India's response to the Israel-Gaza war? and how the turn towards Tel Aviv that New Delhi has taken more recently is a departure from the country's history of solidarity with Palestinians. So, so in the immediate aftermath of the Hamas attack on, on October 7th and then the subsequent response from the Israeli state, India, uh, for the most part, maintained official silence, which is to say that the foreign ministry, the external affairs ministry of India, did not comment for a few days on what was going on. Instead, the only official response that we got was Prime Minister Narendra Modi um, speaking up in solidarity with Israel on on the issue um, initially, and then having a phone call with uh, Netanyahu a few days later. Um, and that alone was already a signal of some something of a departure from previous ties, where India always um, sought to mention the 
the Palestinian issue when when talking about Israel, even even in in complex situations like this one. Um, and and over time, it it became clear as India initially abstained from a call for a humanitarian truce, what the, the terminology that was being used for some sort of ceasefire at the time. Um, it was clear that that India was not entirely aligning with the Israelis, not not in the way that the Americans have or certain other Western states have, but was was taking a slight departure from its own um, positions. And and to understand that, we have to know, as as you asked about the the broader history of India, India's attempts at at creating something of a policy for both Israel and Palestine. This the story is is complex and and and. Uh, somewhat convoluted in part because these are two post-colonial states that that were birthed around the same time in the late 1940s and and have struggled to figure out exactly how to deal with each other. But I think the the simple contours of it are that that India, um, after making some initial efforts to 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 recognize Israel, decided not to. Um, although uh, a consulate was opened up in the in, in in the early years after independence, and then didn't officially recognize I- Israel until the 1990s. Um, during that period, it was quite a strong supporter of the Palestinian cause, um, becoming the first country in the world to recognize the PLO, um, and and frequently speaking up on behalf of the Palestinians. Um, starting in the 1990s, the the big 1992, the the big question of normalization switched. This is also soon after the the fall of the Berlin War, the end of the the USSR, and as we move to the American unipolar movement, um, as well as a bunch of changes within the politics of India, where where you know the the ground shifts a, a bit further to the right, um, uh, India opens up uh, official ties with Israel and and slowly initially and then much faster as as the first um, BJP right wing government uh, uh, takes charge in in Delhi in the late 90s. Um, India's ties with Israel have become stronger and stronger, but it's still seen as being balanced with um, support for the Palestinian cause. In the last decade, um, uh, Prime Minister Modi has been much clearer about shedding those tropes of history. His his external affairs minister has spoken about the hesitations of history that that because of vote bank politics at home have kept India away from a natural partner in in Israel. And so the last 10 years, we've seen much more open support for for Israel, uh, open connections with the Israeli state and Israeli economy, and uh, a general attempt to de-hyphenate the Israeli-Palestinian cause for Indian foreign policy. So India still officially maintains its support for Palestine um, on paper calls for a a two-state solution and so on. But in practice, its its efforts have been at in, uh, broadening its ties with Israel in the last decade. Thank you for that. Um, and just to kind of expand on that, so especially over the last decade, Hindu nationalist ideology has taken center stage in India, with members of Modi's government and the wider RSS-led Hindutva ecosystem treating its Muslim minority population as subordinate. Many in Israel's current far-right government would also be supporters of the Hindutva worldview when it comes to Muslims. Could you tell us a bit more about this ideological convergence of Hindutva and Zionism? It's important to remember, of course, that while these two things are are quite um, uh, intertwined, uh, India, what the Indian state chooses to do and what the the ruling party's broad ideological support base does 
are slightly different things. And so India, particularly under Modi, has, has proven quite deft at, at mixing those two ideological and policy strains when they want to and, and keeping them apart when they want to. And so just, just to give context to that, uh, India's relationship with the UAE, which is, after all, a, a Muslim emirate, um, is 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 as strong, much much stronger, in fact, than its relationship with Israel. So, so there's there's a bit of space there for India to do things that are not necessarily reflective of underlying ideological um, underpinnings. But the ties between um, the Hindutva right and and the broader Zionist movement are, for the most part, ideological. They're not direct ties in that these people were not necessarily in communication directly with each other and supporting each other. Um, uh, in part because in the early years of the Zionist movement, it was, uh, or, or in the middle years of the Zionist movement, it was seen as very much allied with the imperial powers or later the colonial powers at the time, and and even the um, even the the right wing Hindutva um, writers and thinkers were still anti-imperial, anti-colonial in some form, but they had a lot more ideological convergence in their ideas of what a nation state ought to look like, um, particularly the ties between the idea of of religion, of culture, of language, and and the actual um, land on which you, the sacred geography in the term of the Indian Hindu right. Um, and so often the Hindu right looked to Israel as a, as a model for what they would like to build in India, which is when India emerged out of partition, when Pakistan was created broadly as a refuge for the Muslims of South Asia, the creator, the, the founding father, so to speak, and, and you know, um, the folks thinking about what India should be in those early years saw very clearly that they wanted to build a secular democratic republic, one that was not a Hindu state very clearly and one that welcomed um, and gave equal status to citizens of all faiths. Um, the, the Hindu right, however, saw in, in the state that Israel was starting to become um, one where religion could be um, central to the state, where anyone who was not of that religion could be treated as subordinate to some extent. And and so the convergence is explicit in the writing. Uh, as we mentioned in, in, in the essay, um, you have folks talking about uh, the creation of Israel quite uh, with admiration. Um, and in the last 20, 30 years, it's become even more so as the as we talk more about global um, ideas spreading and the idea of combating terrorism. In the Indian right uses this as a cudgel against the broader Muslim populace, uh, deliberately conflating specific terror actors with the entire uh, Muslim minority in India and seeing Israel as a muscular version of what they would like to be as as a version that takes no qualms about treating the Muslim population with as subordinate with with contempt, treating them all as as potential terrorists and so on. Um, uh, you have uh, human rights organizations like Amnesty describing what Israel does in the occupied territories as as equivalent to apartheid, and and that's not the case in India. Um, in 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 treatments, so we're we're not talking about equivalent situations, but it certainly is the desire of many in the in the Hindu right. India's military and economic ties with Israel appear to have enough momentum to sustain this deepening relationship on their own. With India particularly interested in Israel's cyber and surveillance weapons. Alongside the defense partnership are also the growing agricultural and economic ties with investments flowing both ways. Could you give us an overview of this? 
Yeah, um, the reason we say that the momentum that that the, the defense ties particularly have momentum on their own is because uh, it, it is partly to do with global politics, which is that India is a big arms importer. It's one of the biggest in the world, and, and in part because it doesn't have a a sufficiently developed uh, indigenous defense industry, and it has tremendous defense requirements, given that it faces both internal insurgencies as well as um, uh, hostile neighbors, both on China and the Pakistani side. In in the years of the Soviet Union, India had built a very close relationship with the Soviets and, and sought to get a lot of its um, arms needs from the Soviets. But once the Unipolar movement starts in the 90s, it has sought to diversify away from that dependence on on the Soviets, which turns into dependence on the on the Russians. Um, and as we know from India's complex re- response to the war on Ukraine, um, India is still heavily dependent on Russia and, and has to make subsequent foreign policy decisions based on that. Um, and so India has sought about, you know, cast about looking for other potential allies, partners from which to to draw defense um, equipment. And, and since it will not be looking to China for this, given that there's hostilities between the two, um, Israel has emerged as one of the natural sources of of arms, equipment, technology, and so on, on in the defense industry over the years, um, spreading now also to cyber weapons, to, to surveillance technology, and so on. And so, in part, because of the complexities of global geopolitics, India needs Israel. And Israel, which has always seen foreign policy and the defense industry go hand in hand, um, needs India, in a sense, as a, as a great client of, of its um, big defense industry. So so even if there was no ideological convergence, the reason I say the momentum is sort of inbuilt is that even if there wasn't an ideological convergence between the two movements powering the states, um, the defense ties would have a natural momentum of their own. Um, and so that, that, that exists and that seems unlikely to change even in the event of different governments coming to power in either Israel or India that that see their approaches to minorities and things like that change. You, you, you're likely to see the defense ties continue to, to grow and deepen. Um, economic uh, has always been somewhat limited, um, in part because of India's older reluctance to, to work with Israel, in part because the companies were often seen as competitive um, in the past. But in the last uh, 20 years, there's been a lot more sense that um, they can be complementary rather than competitive. Um, particularly drawing from Israel's tremendous um, achievements in the agricultural space and and Indian companies in the tech and services space and finding some sort of convergence between those two. And you now have large Israeli and Indian companies looking at each other as partners. Um, Most prominently, as we mentioned, the the Adani Group, which which has grown tremendously in the last 10 years under the the Modi government, um, has bought... A, a significant stake in a port in Haifa in in, in Israel and and there's there's the sense that between that and the India Middle East Europe economic corridor which was announced on the sidelines of the G20 um that uh, the India Israel relationship could be could grow a lot more economically particularly in the fields of of tech, of agri and, and food packing industries and so on, both being complementary and supplying Europe and other parts of the world. Um, it's it's a it's a complex one. I, I, I know we do, we have limited time, so so delving into some of these is not going to be easy. But yeah, it's 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 clear that there's there's both sides now that they've 
Oh, now that the governments are clearly taking an openly, not not an allied, but a, a more partnership type approach, that there's space for the underlying um, uh, companies and economies to to also embrace each other. Thank you. And there have been recent reports stating that the construction industry in Israel has asked the Indian government to allow companies to recruit 100,000 Indian workers to replace Palestinians since the war on Gaza began. Now, Sri Lanka has also recently forged an agreement with Israeli government to allow the hiring of 10,000 Sri Lankans to work on farms. Nepal has also started preparations to send over 1,000 workers selected through a lottery system for employment in Israel. Could you tell us about the implications of this for South Asia? Yeah, the the story of of this this sort of labor migration to Israel is an important one because it it speaks to how the country has has developed over the last uh, three or four decades. Actually, it's it's in the, in the aftermath of the second intifada in 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 the nineteen nineties after the um, the Camp David Accords that. Israel decides, you know, until until then, Israel uh, received a lot of labor from the occupied territories. You had Gazans and you had folks from the West Bank coming over into to Israel um, to to work on the fields, to do the the sort of menial labor that a lot of Israelis are either not willing to do or they simply don't have enough. Um, they have a shortage of, of labor in that sense. But uh, this created the space for the the spate of suicide bombings um that that Israel saw during the second intifada um and as an active matter of policy the israelis cut themselves off from the source of labor and started looking a bit further afield for those sources um you know and this is why you have thai nationals being one of the largest um sources of hostages in 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 the, the hamas attack um because these are this is imported labor so to speak uh, again, now with a complete shutoff of the limited number of Palestinians that were making their way through into Israel to work, Israel is again looking about to see where they can source um, labor from. And and it's likely that in some countries, particularly in Thailand, for example, there might be reluctance now to go back to Israel, which is why they have had to look in other places and look to countries that both have what we might call a labor surplus, as well as um, better ties with the Israeli state um, and are seen as sort of non-ideological, not not targets of, of either side, let's say, which may be why they are looking at South Asian states for this. In the Indian case or, you know, in, 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 the, in the Sri Lankan case, it's a bit more formal as it is in, in the Nepali case. In, in the Indian case, it's, it remains a bit unclear. No one's confirmed things. We have unofficial sources talking about up to 50,000 Indians going over 100,000 being the request in, in other cases in the construction industry and so on. Um, it's quite likely that the Indian government will not want to popularize um, just the sheer numbers until they come out in official records, uh, in part with the aim of of playing walking this tr- tricky tightrope, which is that that India, as much as the, the Hindu right, um, and you know the government-aligned media, even in India, has has displayed this this wholesale alignment with with Israel. Um, internationally, India wants to maintain its not if not equidistance, at least be seen as still being sober in its uh, relations with Israel. In part because there are millions of Indians in in Arab states, um, as well as if they 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 work in Israel, India would not want them to become targets of of any sort of. Um, hostility. Uh, and so we're likely to see that while these things will happen, because they make to some extent economic sense, um, 
uh, we're unlikely to have them become linchpins of any sort of relationship between these states. Uh, or at least I would be surprised if that were the case. At the same time, um, uh, yeah, it's it's something that the Israelis would be happy to 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 see and to promote. So it it will be curious to see how these governments, um, which all have different, you know, the Nepalese and the Sri Lankans have very different um, approaches to to Israel and the Palestinian cause to to India in in some ways. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how how they play it going forward. Thank you. So India's Supreme Court has upheld the 2019 decision by Prime Minister Modi's government to revoke the special status for India-administered Kashmir granted by Article 370. In the review essay, you discuss how the West Bank and Kashmir are ripe for comparison for the level of securitization in both territories and for the impunity with which armed forces can operate in them. Could you tell us about India's approach to Kashmir and the comparisons to Palestine? Yeah, once upon a time, this was the most obvious comparison between the two countries, um, in part because of active efforts from Pakistan to, to and, and activists in, in Kashmir to to make the comparison, to, to, to try and drive the Kashmiri issue to be a pan-Islamic one in the way that the Palestinian one eventually became. Now, there was no natural reason for Palestine necessarily to become a pan-Arab and eventually a pan-Islamic concern. Um, and there was no reason for Kashmir not to be that. Um, uh, and yet the, the trajectories of the two, uh, you know, differ for, for a variety of reasons that will that will be too long to get into at the moment. But there were comparisons drawn and, and sought to be drawn for many years. I almost feel like while the comparison is is, is natural, um, it has become less pertinent in some some cases over the years, and, and I'll explain why. Um, in terms of why th there is an obvious comparison, it is in, in the way that the security states on both ends uh, see a populace that is hostile to them. Um, in, in Kashmir, that has meant um, rule by, you know, by army and other state um, elements, um, that has over the, the decades, and this is not just the current government in India, but over decades has sought to um, securitize this space in such a way that there are minimal civil freedoms, um, in some cases rig elections and make sure the outcomes are favorable to, to Delhi, um, in other cases taking away civil rights altogether as in 2019 when, when um, the autonomy was stripped away from the state. Um, similarly, I mean, in, in a much more spelled out way in, 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 in the Palestinian occupied territories, um, there is no sense of, of civil rights. Uh, any any attempt at uh, at protest, including um, peaceful protest, is often seen as an existential threat to to Israel. And so, um, there are degrees of differences between the two. But from the point of the state, the surveillance and the the idea of securitizing the space, there are big similarities. The underlying politics are quite different, in part because there is a, a general sense of from from the thrust within the Israeli space that uh, or the, the big question of whether it's a one state or, or two state solution that will ultimately come about, which is not necessarily the case, although there, there has been a long secession movement in Kashmir, this is not comparable to the question of the two state solution in Palestine. And I would almost argue, I, I, we didn't draw this out fully in the piece, that, that the co comparison is getting a slightly less pertinent because... Um, we are seeing more uh, what another activist called the Kashmirization of, of all of India um, under the current government. It's not that the surveillance and security state is only trained on Kashmir or in other places that have insurgency, but 
the the demonization of minorities the broadening of um of surveillance and the securitization of public spaces are happening across the country um and is no longer limited to just some of these spaces so in some ways i think now the comparison lies writ large uh, against hindutva and and the israeli state in general rather than just <clears throat> taking it down to to the question of kashmir and the occupied territories in palestine thank you for that so how will india's growing ties with israel impact its efforts to be seen as the voice of the global south for example new delhi initially found itself alone in the south asian region in abstaining on demands for a ceasefire at the un general assembly could india's growing ties with tel aviv and especially netanyahu become another reason for domestic constituents in places like say bangladesh or the maldives to demand greater distance from india it's 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 one of the trickiest questions and i wonder how the the folks in in the indian foreign policy establishment are thinking about this i i i live in egypt and 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 from from this vantage point there are few people seeing india as being very closely partnering with israel in the sense that those of us who have followed india closely um can sense that, that shift i think it's not something that has aside from those who are you know paying attention to the foreign policy it's not seen as some major shift that's taken place at least in the wider public you're not seeing india allied with um israel in the way that when people get get angry and protest against israel they speak of the us or france or germany and so on um and so uh, that i think is something that the indian state and and foreign policy establishment will guard against um in part because india uh, well one for the simple reason that india has 9 to 10 million citizens living uh, particularly in arab gulf states um and and you know that that's an important constituency there but also just generally to maintain its image amongst arab states that are important partners um and and other muslim states further afield at the same time the drift as it goes forward is is likely to to become more pronounced and people might notice it more uh, globally the global south remains a sort of nebulous concept with no clear you know idea of who speaks for whom um china and india have both sought to to take the mantle of the the countries that speak for the global south and china and india have found themselves on if not opposite sides of this issue china has been much clearer in its embrace of the palestinian cause here while uh, whereas india initially you know took took that line which was closer to to israel and since then has moved towards voting for ceasefires i think it's it's going to be one of those tight ropes that india is going to walk just as it attempted to do on the ukraine issue whether it matters for the global south on this particular issue is one that is unclear uh, although india took this position and has been seen by at least foreign policy watchers as being much closer to israel on this issue it has not really come in the way of india's ties with other global south states or even its neighborly states like bangladesh sri lanka nepal and, and so on it hasn't been used as a cudgel there i think the the place where it's most likely to come up would be bangladesh but bangladesh has its own democratic concerns at the moment and and while india is often uh an aspect of internal politics there at least me i i'm not too familiar with the internal politics of bangladesh but it it doesn't seem to have come up as an issue today i think over years um if the convergence becomes more obvious if the embrace of india and and israel is more pronounced and visible um it's important to remember that there have been a lot of convergences between india and israel that are invisible they they they're kept deliberately 
you know, partnerships starting in the 80s and 90s between the intelligence organizations of both countries, between the defense and military establishments of both, and then in political and even economic terms in the 90s and 2000s, they were deliberately kept relatively low profile um, for a variety of reasons. If these do become more visible, I would imagine that there would have there would be impacts. But at the moment, it's almost too soon to say, and there isn't a, a cost, so to speak, right off the bat to India from from this. Maybe partly to do with um, the fact that it's it's Arab partners, the UAE in particular, and and Saudi Arabia, are also trying to navigate a complex moment where they too actually are seeking closer ties with Israel um, and are hardly um, favorable to Hamas um, and and are unsure how to play the the Israel Palestine issue. Um, so I think I think this is an open question. Uh, it's it's unclear and it will be a tightrope if India does want to make its Israel partnership more visible and vocal. Thank you, Rohan, for unpacking that for us. Um, and to wrap up the conversation, could you share any recommendations for further reading, watching, or listening on India-Israel relations and Palestine? Yeah. Um, as as I was working on, on this piece, um, you know, Azadessa's book is is very important and, and very useful. I think it lacks in a, in a couple of spaces, and particularly, you know, there, there's aspects where it would be useful for a more nuanced account of some bits of history. But uh, given the paucity of work on this matter, I mean, the forget just India, Israel, but India's ties with the modern um, Arab world. There's there's very limited, um, particularly non-academic work on it. So 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 Azad's book is one to to pick up and read, even if you want to um, be skeptical about certain bits of the account. Um, there's two academic books that I mentioned in the in the piece that that at least draw the broader contours of the India-Israel relationship. One would be Nicola Blair's um, The Evolution of India's Israel Policy, and the other is um, JNU Professor PR Kumara Swami's India's Israel Policy. Both of these are more academic works. They're not really for the lay reader, but um, for those interested in the subject, um, they they draw out this this relationship and the and the twists and turns over over the history really well. Um, but it, it really is is an undercovered subject. Um, and so I'll I'll maybe draw folks to a couple of other things that, given the current context, that I'd be happy to recommend that are not specific to the India-Israel relationship, but to 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 this development in general. Uh, I've been quite um, taken by Ezra Klein's series of interviews on the Ezra Klein Show, which is a podcast uh, at the New York Times, um, uh, interviewing folks on both the is- Israeli and Palestinian side um, on, on this issue. And and I think while I, there's a lot my, I might disagree with in, in many of those conversations, I think they're, they're well done and, and will... Um, uh, will add insight to anyone who's on either side or on many of the multiple sides of this conversation. Um, and two two bits of um, slightly less current affairsy things. There's uh, Adanya Shibli's minor detail. It's a it's a wonderful tiny little novella by a Palestinian author that's really a sharp gives you a sharp sense of what this this world is like, what this place is like in, in the early years, particularly of Zionism. Um, and because I, I live in Egypt uh, at the moment, um, uh, Lucette Lagnado uh, is a is an author who who had to flee Egypt um, soon after Israel was created. She she wrote a, a memoir called "The Man in the White Sharkskin Suit," um, which is broadly about her family, a Jewish Egyptian family, having to flee Egypt in part because of the consequences of the creation of Israel. 
Um, and uh, given that we are talking about refugees and, and, and what, what is happening in the world and what the consequences of the, the creation of the Israeli state has meant, um, I, I found it really um, an, an interesting read in this current moment. So yeah, those are my recommendations. Rohan, thank you so much for the excellent recommendations and also for joining us today and for this opportunity to engage with questions on India-Israel relations and the implications for South Asia. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. If you want to help us bring you more updates and stories, you can sign up for membership at www.himalmag.com slash membership. We've got a range of membership plans for you to choose from. You'll get access to our archival newsletter specially curated for you and even Himal's iconic right-side-up map with its startling new perspective on South Asia. And if you don't want to miss out on future episodes, head to the link in our notes to sign up for our newsletter, which will bring you the updates right to your mailboxes every fortnight. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever it is that you like to listen to your favorite podcasts. And that's it for today and for this episode. See you next time.